You are listening to the Fusedal Fit Health and Fitness podcast and on 91.8 Hayes FM radio show. So today is episode 22 and my special guest Dan Lewin is joining us from Australia. Money. Welcome to the Fusedal Fit podcast with your host Nicola Fustel, straight talking, body positive coach and personal trainer. Nicola brings you your weekly guide to finding real health and fitness and to live the life you deserve. So today's guest, I speak to somebody from the other side of the world, it's Dan Lewin. He's also a Body Image Movement Global Ambassador and I found him on the Body Image Movement page because I noticed that he was probably one of the only males on the page. And although body image affects males and women, it seems to be women who mostly are talking about this topic. And so having shared a couple of his blogs and also a picture of him nude in the thinking man position, um, I really liked that picture. And I, I wondered who is Dan and what's his story? What brought him to the body image movement? So I asked him to share a little bit about his journey and so we can get to know him more. Uh, my journey started actually when I was quite young. Um, so I grew up on the Gold Coast um, in Australia, um, I guess famously known um, for Surface Paradise Beach. Um, but these days, I would say Gold Coast is probably one of the eating disorder capitals of Australia. Okay. Um, so I was one of three. I've got a younger sister and an older brother. Um, but when I was young, um, you know, I was already starting, um, you know, to get fat. And I'm going to use the term fat in a weight neutral, you know, it's a weight neutral term for me because I was fat. That's how I identified. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, when I was, you know, six, seven years old, um, I already noticed that my body was, you know, quite different to that of um, my brothers in particular um, who was in a thin body. Yeah. And... I just kind of found that, um, I know, I felt like we didn't have a lot of money. Like we were never deprived, you know, we had the staples, but I always felt like we didn't have the foods that I wanted around. And maybe that's because I saw just others having, you know, whether it was takeaway or when I was at primary school, like tuck shop and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so, you know, kind of from that age, um, you know, I started wanting those kind of foods. And whenever I could get my hands on them, if we didn't keep them at home, I kind of, you know, tried to eat a lot of it and um, found I was already at that age doing, you know, sneaky eating, basically. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, and I was always comparing myself to my brother as well. You know, if he could eat that, then I can eat that. Um, you know, but obviously our bodies, you know, were, were totally different. So my body was changing drastically. His wasn't um, pretty much. So um, then, you know, when I was in primary school, um that was my first experience, I guess, of, um, you know, fat shaming and, and teasing, you know, seven, eight years old. And, you know, I vividly remember one, one case. It was um, a brother of one of my classmates who was in one of the older grades, you know, teasing me. And I used to walk around school with my head down low, you know, basically trying to be invisible. You know, and that kind of carried on for years until he left. Um but, you know, there were other cases like, you know, teasing. And I think even to these days is still ripe in schools, which is just it totally saddens me. You know, mm -hmm. six six year old boys, there's cases in Australia still being reported. You know, it's in the news. You know, being fat shamed. I experienced it. I know it's hell and um, it's damaging. So, you know, that kind of continued through primary school. Um and then when I got into high school, the first couple of years, it wasn't so bad. I was, I, I did a program, it was called French Immersion, and there was like 40 students, and we were, we were blocked off from the mainstream. So in a school of, say, 1,500 students, there was like 40 of us, we had our own building, you know, we became best mates, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't being, nothing was being directly targeted towards me in terms of um, you know, being called fat or anything like that. Um, but it was still around in terms of one of our teachers, a French teacher, um, she was in a bigger body and, you know, she always used to say, you know, she loved eating cheese, etc. And, you know, she would get called some 
pretty nasty names to do with her weight. So, you know, although it wasn't directed at me, the messages were still there that being in a body, bigger body, you know, was just not good enough. Basically, that's that's the message that that comes across. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, after that, I changed high schools to finish my senior schooling. I just put my head down. I did a lot of study and just basically escaped the world. Um, my parents had also recently been through a very messy um, separation and divorce, so that was kind of you know um, I was trying to escape that as well. <laughs> um, so. You know, any kind of weight bias or fat shaming, I um, was a bit oblivious to at that point. Um, but then after I finished school, um, I guess I, things got worse on the food side of things um, because I started to work for myself. I was trading uh, the currency and futures markets and I was doing that from home. It was very isolated and... Um, I guess, you know, a bit of depression going on and essentially, you know, a lot of binging. Yeah. Can I just uh, go back then? So to, to your childhood with your parents, did your parents ever fat shame you or did they ever say to you that you were different or that you needed to diet or change the way that you were eating? Yeah. So uh, my father never did. Um, my mum, she kind of yo-yoed like for many years Um she didn't always um, talk about her diet, but it was pretty evident, you know, what was going on. Um, and then at one point she did say to me, and this was when I was um, 21, um, when things kind of started to change for me, um, is that she said, you know, she would keep on saying, you'll do something when you're ready. You know, so again, it's implied you're fat, you know, you need to lose weight. Yeah. So that that became really clear, and that's actually when I did start to do to do something about it. And um, because the other thing I wanted to ask you is about uh, stereotypes and being a guy, um, being yeah. brought up by your mum and your dad. Did your dad um, like the way that his relationship with was with you? Um, did he teach you anything like being a manly man, that type of thing? Like men don't cry and men don't show weakness. You know, no, the no. He, like in Australia, we say macho. You know, he he was not like that at all. Um, you know, I didn't didn't have those issues or that stereotype to look at for him. You know, that was not modelled. Um, I mean, in fact, I can recall times where I, you know, I remember him actually crying. Um, so you know that that wasn't an issue. Um, you know, when I was younger, because of all the teasing that happened, particularly around this, you know, I. You know, I cried and I did run away a lot, and you know that that was never. I was never told, you know, be a man. That that never happened. So then, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, in the future, you said you started to binge eat, and was that um, as a result after your first diet? Um, the binging started actually before the dieting. So that was more when I was just very isolated and just very down, low, you know, low self-esteem um, and, and on my own. So, yeah, that, that happened and that's, you know, I put a lot of weight on during that period naturally. Um, you know, I, I never compensated, so, um, you know, purge or exercise for the binges, so I put the weight on. Um, and then it was, yeah, a few, a few years later when I was 21, that's when I started dieting. Okay, and what did that look like for you at that time? Because I'm presuming that you hadn't uh, trained as a nutritionist back then. No, no. Um, so what did it look like? Um, you know, the guise of healthy eating is what it looked like. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess, you know, I lost about um 30 to 40% of my body weight in about 18 months. Um, and I'll just use percentages. I don't like to throw figures out there, um, you know, like actual weight figures. Um, but that's a lot of weight. Um, and so, you know, even back then, you know, the magazines were out, you know, bodybuilding magazines. I started going to the gym because I'd never been to the gym before that. Um, I exercised, right? I'd like, you know, I used to play basketball. I rode my bike. I used to love walking on the beach. 
um, but I'd never been to a gym. So, you know, income the bodybuilding magazines, six meals a day, this is what you do. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, what I did for about 18 months um, and got down to that particular body weight. Um, you know, and always lots of tips from, you know, the, the PTs and the PTs here in Australia don't have nutrition qualifications. I'm not sure what it's like in, in the UK. Yeah, pretty much uh, so. Yeah, so, um, yeah, about 18 months. And then, you know, to be honest, then for 10, for, you know, for 10 years after that, so I'm 35 now, for about 10 years after I lost all that weight, I was still in diet land. You know, I might, I might have maintained the weight, but mentally I was still in diet land and I, yo- I yo-yoed a lot. Um, I went, um, you know, t- to the other extreme on the downside of the scale um, in a very unhealthy way. Um, and then that was really the, that was kind of a, a rock bottom for me. That's when I was... Um, I guess, you know, I never sought treatment, so I was never clinically diagnosed with an eating disorder. But, you know, if I ask myself what made me think that I didn't have an eating disorder over that, you know, throughout those 10 years, well, you know, I'm I'm sure I did. So so what do you think led you to lose more and more weight? Do you think when you first dieted, you lost an initial weight? Did you get any, like... Um, acknowledgements from people or society? Did people treat you differently as you started to lose the weight and then that ex- excelled and made you want to lose more and lose more? All, all of the above. It all kept perpetuated that whole, you know, thin equals success equals health, which mm-hmm. is the worst of all, right, because that's just not the case Yeah. Um, because, of course, you can be thin and unhealthy and you can – be fat or in a bigger body and be very healthy, just the same. So, um, yeah, and and certainly, um, you know, being in the gym culture and, um, you know, as I said, uh, like on the Gold Coast, it's just you've got to have that beach body, you know. And so at some point I did move. um, I moved up to Brisbane, which is just an hour north of the Gold Coast, but still very much, you know, in the gym culture, striving, you know, to get that look, right, that masculine look. Everyone wants that V-taper, you know, being ripped. Um, But what happened, Nicola, is that I ended up being very thin, but um, I didn't have the muscle. So I was, like, quite gaunt, essentially. And, um, And then it hit me that I was like, okay, I need to get bigger um, and put on muscle. And so you know, then started the phase of bulking up, you know, air quotes. So um, while while I was still very, very thin, I felt like crap. You know, it was was hell on earth. I was eating so few calories, um, you know, didn't have any energy, mental brain fog. And so when I started to put on weight to bulk up, I felt great, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons. I wasn't doing it for my mental or physical health. I was still doing it because it was tied to body image, mm-hmm. um, you know. And so, you know, I bulk, bulked up and um, put on a decent amount of weight, you know, like at least he- healthy weight, right? That that I got back all my physical functions, I had my energy back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, but then it got to the point where that wasn't good enough because I had, you know, quite a bit of muscle, but then with all the, the weight gain still, you know, some of that was fat. So then started the, the phase of, okay, I need to get rid of the fat and keep the muscle and, you know, get shredded. And that started a period of just, that was very obsessive. The calorie counting was hideous. It doesn't work anyway. Um, but you know, everyone still tries to count to the exact calorie mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, and then this, this was leading up into a time, I mean, this is say, um, you know, five, six years ago. Um, and then that lasted for a while and I got, got to the point where I was, you know, started uni, started studying and the exercise was getting out of control. Um, so, you know, it was in the gym, two and a half hours a day, three days a week, 
you know, and I justified that, you know, oh, it's only three days a week, that's all good, but two and a half hours in the gym, um, you know, absolutely thrashing myself, brutal, you know, very, I was lifting very heavy weights um, and, yeah, just total punishment on my body. Still all in the name of body image. Yeah. So when did you, like, what was your wake-up call? When did you realise that you were getting unhealthy and, and becoming obsessed with it all? Mm. So I, it was when I started uni. It was, um, so nutrition and dietetics here is a four-year degree. And it was about halfway through uni. And there was, like, this major confluence of events that happened. So I guess it kind of started with... Um, you know, I was a real perfectionist, you know, and I guess that kind of, you know, you could probably tell like with the obsessive nature of what I was doing, you know, so it wasn't just the food and the exercise, it also was with all of my studies and, you know, I was achieve, achieving top grades, but then halfway through the degree, um, I felt like um, all of that perfectionism, essentially it was... Um, it was hurting my relationship. That's that's what I perceived. So you know, I even to this day I still ask my wife. You know, but she didn't feel like it was, you know, anything was anything was wrong. But I felt like I was disconnected, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and so I basically had to say to myself, you know, is that perfectionism for you know the top grades? Is that you know, is that really worth it? What do I value most here? So it was like a mini crisis, right? So I had to choose what I really prioritize in life. You know, was it my relationship with my wife or my grades? And of course, it was my wife, infinitely. So I started to let go of the perfectionism to do with the grades. And at the same time, this was the other event was that I was just so sick of um, being ruled by all of my food rules, by the calorie counting, I was very unhappy. And so I knew something had to happen there. And so um, that's when I picked up Intuitive Eating for the first time, the book Intuitive Eating. Um, and, you know, I basically didn't know how to eat normally. You know, I was just so governed by rules. And so, um, you know, Intuitive Eating opened up a whole another world to me. And it was, again, letting go of the perfectionism. So, while I let go of the perfectionism in the, you know, in the study, the same thing started to happen with my food and exercise. Um, you know, intuitive eating. I picked up health at every size um, by Linda Bacon. Um, if not dieting, then what? By Rick Kausman. And you know, the books start just go on and on and just. I started drowning my world in, in that space, and that's, um, I guess, how I just started to get into. You know, body image and um, into the eating disorder space and started reading all books to do with that um, because we didn't, you know, we didn't get any kind of, um, oh, we did one, one, a one hour lecture on, on eating disorders at, at uni. So, um, you know, ev everything else was just self-learned and directed. So, so it's interesting because I was going to ask you what led you to become a nutritionist and it sounds like you were already studying nutrition when you were having all this obsession with the exercise and the food so yeah and you know it's what's crazy is i thought you know because like you know i appreciate food but i'm not like this major foodie i like good quality food and love going out it's a social thing as well um but i didn't get into it just because i love food um you know initially it was i can lose weight I'll show, you know, I'll, I'll show someone else how to do it, you know, and it's just like I look back now and think, my gosh, what? So really, you know, I, I didn't reflect on the fact that I was so miserable when I was, you know, dieting and losing weight that that's what I actually wanted to help someone do, which, of course, now I'm like totally hardcore health at every size non-diet, you know, and it's, it's weight neutral. I will not, you know, I will not help someone lose weight. If, if they want to, that's obviously their choice. So I'm not going to be totally, you know, anti-diet, but I just, I actually won't support someone to do that. I would refer on and just say, look, if you don't want to do non-diet, then you'll need to find another practitioner to support you um, in that endeavor. So how'd you started your practice already helping people lose weight? 
Or was that just during your um, studies? So before my studies, had I started helping people lose weight? No, no. So had you actually started, opened a practice that helped people to lose weight? Or was that just the idea you had while you were doing the studies? Yeah, that's the idea that I had going in. That was like one of the reasons I chose, you know, to do nutrition. Which was really lucky for you then that you found um, intuitive eating so early and health at every size before you actually opened a practice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lots of other people have started a practice. And even me, I'm I'm a personal trainer, so I don't do the nutrition side. But I have helped people with like basic nutrition and obviously the fitness and everything has always been about weight loss. So I and a lot of the people that I've spoken to have had to do that big transition where you go from weight loss to then health at every size, which is quite a, a difficult thing to do. Yeah, I would imagine there's a lot of ambivalence around that, you know, for people who, you know, practice weight loss first. And it's, I mean, it's, as you know, it's just a whole new paradigm and a yeah. totally different way of thinking. Um, and so, I'm, yeah, it's, it's a blessing for me that, you know, through my own um, journey and inner work that I found, I found it before I actually finished. Yeah. But even in yourself, though, without having helped anybody else lose weight, how did you feel having had certain beliefs within yourself that you can lose weight, you're a successful dieter in quotes, and that you can help others. And the way that you were thinking, all of those belief systems, how did you feel yeah. having to do that transition just within yourself? Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I had to recognize that, um, you know, I was having certain feelings that, I was escaping from, I was translating those feelings onto my body and then punishing my body for that. And so, you know, it's really difficult to do that inner work. But at the end of the day, it was a matter of, I know what it's like, like, you know, to be, as you say, in air quotes, a successful dieter. And for me, the reality of, of it is that, you know, it resulted in, you know, an eating disorder and, um, some seriously unhealthy behaviors and, you know, a lot of social isolation and I was miserable. So, you know, it's, it's about, I guess, for me, making value-based decisions. What do I really value in life here? And, you know, when we say, when someone says health, okay, you know, I probably said that for a long time as well. And that's, you know, why I guess health at every size um, just totally opened my eyes to, you know, what health really is and the evidence behind, you know, body weight and BMI and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was just a total game changer um, for me. And also just when I started to, you know, do intuitive eating and, um, and I'll put it out there, like I, because I'd been restricting so much and when I started listening to my body, naturally I gained weight and that was not necessarily easy, but I also understood that for my body, it was actually the right, you know, the right thing that was looking after my body. And, you know, I just had to cope with that from, you know, the, the body image perspective because, um, you know, I had also at that point kind of started to untangle the fact that my self-worth had nothing to do with how I looked. Whereas, you know, for you know, 10, 12 years, that's all that kind of mattered was that, okay, I'm not good enough because I'm not this particular size. So, you know, it took a long time to untangle that. And I think that, you know, in society, that's what's pushed. You know, that, that's what's sold is you look this way, you are worth it. You know, you, you're you worthy of love. And it's just, obviously now I know it's just so not true, but that's the message that's touted and it's it's just, it's a shame. You know, people suffer because of that message. Yeah, but also we're shown one image that is health and we're not shown that health can look diverse. As you said earlier, you can have thin people who are unhealthy and fatter people who are, are completely healthy and yeah. um, we're only shown one image, especially in the fitness industry, on, on the magazines and everything. And those models that you see on the magazines have dieted down for that magazine. They're probably even still edited and, and touched up on the picture. So it's not yeah. actually what's real life. And then that's right. Yeah. You know, we look at that image and think that we can achieve that and that will be health. 
And normally when we get there, a lot of us are not healthy when we actually look like that. That's right. What we were striving to achieve, we're just like far from it. Mm -hmm. Far, so, far from it. Yeah. Can I ask you, what was the messiest part of your journey? Ooh. Um, the messiest part of my journey. Um, I think it was... Um, You know, something that I struggled with was the social stuff and pulling myself out of that. Like when we would go to like my wife's family, you know, for a meal, I'd take my own stuff, you know, and I like I wouldn't eat anything they made because that was just, you know, I didn't know what they put in it or there was like never much salad, you know, it was always a quote carbs. It just was not, you know, yeah. it wasn't healthy. And so, you know, I really struggled with that. And it might not sound, you know, it might sound trivial to some people, but that's that's not a healthy behaviour to not be able to enjoy food socially. Food is such a social thing. It should be there to be enjoyed together. You know, it's. I think it's just happened forever and ever, but I took that out of it. And um, so I really struggled from that aspect. Um, and also, I guess, just... I was in diet land, you know, for so long, for 10 years with, you know, going from one end down at, you know, being so, so thin to then putting weight back on to try and bulk up and then shred back down. That That is all messy in, in itself, you know, because I hope I can say this, it was just all a total mind fuck, Nicola, you know, like yeah. there was no support. Yeah. I didn't seek treatment and um, no one ever said anything to me. You know, it's just, it was all about, okay, you know, oh, you're so healthy. When I take the salads, oh, you're so healthy. Yeah. Rather, than actually, rather than actually calling me out, you know, and, and saying something, um, it just, yeah, like we said before, you know, all those, you know, comments, oh, you look so good, you know, mm -hmm. oh, you know, yeah, you know, your six pack. And it's like, that just makes it worse. Yeah. That makes you want to do it more. Yeah. But I, I was thinking actually even past the, the diet land, because you kind of get so sucked in and you don't even realize in your own head, um, when you decided to then go on to the journey of accepting your body or loving your body, the messy parts of that journey. Um, you know, when I reflect on it, I was just, when I was pulling myself out of, um, you know, all of those negative behaviours. Um, yes, you know, there was a lot of inner self-work and, you know, a lot of um, just working on myself with, you know, self-acceptance and still, you know, even now, you know, I don't even say self-love because it's more a, a neutral place. You know, I'm happy where I am and, you know, I don't love, you know, my body. That's a difficult place to get to. You know, and I think neutral is pretty good for a lot of people. Um, you know, it's, it's all messy in a way where you just have to untangle all of those long held beliefs, yeah. you know, from yeah. what reality actually is, um, you know, because anything that you care about is going to have some kind of feelings attached to it, you know, so I care about, you know, my relationship, I care about my health. And when I say that now, I know it's obviously not body size. And, you know, so when I start challenging all those other beliefs, it, it, it's all actually quite messy. Um, that's and, and that's it's, interesting uh, when you say, like, I care about my health, because I think that was something that I really tied into what I was doing. And that was my justification for all of my weird behaviors was that it was for my health. And then yeah. for me, reading health at every size really challenged everything that I believed because I thought, Hang on a minute. If I if that's not really doing something for my health, then why am I doing it? And the yeah. the, the only answer really was aesthetics. So it was really yeah. hard to question absolutely everything that I did, even exercises that I was doing in the gym. Why am I doing that exercise? Does it have a function and a purpose for me, or is it to change my body? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sounds like both of us. You know, our definition of health has obviously changed drastically from from what it used to be. Um, 
you know, so yeah, it can all be um, quite messy tackling those issues. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just far happier and, um, you know, all of my relationships are better. Nothing actually happened to my grades, you know, like I let go of all of that, but my grades pretty much stayed the same, you know, so that, you know, that happened as well. And, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, working through those things. And like I said, it's, it's value-based decisions. What do you really want from life? And what gives you meaning and working towards that. And, you know, there's a lot of discomfort that I had to go through, mm-hmm. um, you know, that I just had to let sit there, you know, and, and let it be um, and and say, okay, you know, I'm just better off not acting on that discomfort because that will send me back to where I don't want to go. You know, so just sit with that and, you know, keep on, you know, taking actions that are, moving me towards a life that, you know, a valued life and, and a meaningful life to me. Yeah. So how do you define health now? Um, certainly not by body size. Let's just, you know, keep on throwing that out there. Um, you know, I think um, even part of it is having a just a positive um, body image that encompasses that because that can, you know, having a negative body image can drive many unhealthy behaviors. So I think that's, you know, that can be one aspect. And um, even just my social life, you know, how, how are things in my social life? You know, if, if, um, you know, if I'm not going out or, you know, um, if, if like my wife and I don't go out, you know, for meals, say, you know, once a week or once a fortnight, I'll start to question that. What's going on? Why not? Um, you know, how's how is the direct relationship with, you know, with my wife? How's um, the other things that I'm doing in my life? Am I doing some, you know, reading of, you know, might be nonfiction books rather than textbooks or, um, you know, what am I doing just to take care of my mental health? Am I going for nice long walks on the beach, which I love? Um, you know, uh, am I doing movement that I enjoy? Um, and it, it's interesting because I actually do enjoy going to the gym and I know not everyone says that, but now I do it in a way that, um, you know, it actually enriches my life. You know, I'm not there for very long when I'm there. Everything I do, um, you know, supports, um, the functions of my body rather than just beats it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really, you know, that's really important and it just makes me feel good. Is that something that you learned from the book Intuitive Eating? Does it also teach you about intuitive exercise or movement? Um, I mean, health at every size, certainly, um, you know, joyful movement is is one of the, you know, the principles. And um, two and a half hours to me was not joyful. You know, 30 minutes, you know, doing certain exercises is joyful. Um, so, you know, and I actually started just walking a lot more as well. I find it quite, um, you know, relaxing and therapeutic and, you know, previously it would be like, oh, I can only walk a certain amount of time because otherwise I'll lose muscle mass, you know, and like, um, so it's just doing things that, yeah, that I enjoy in life. And when did you first hear about Taron Bromfit and the body image movement? Um, it was probably about six months ago now. Um, so at that stage, um, you know, it obviously started doing a lot of reading, um, you know, all the health every size, all the body positive stuff. And yeah, I just came across it, um, online when I was looking, um, you know, for some good body positive stuff to look at. And, um, you know, I recognized in myself that obviously I connected with, you know, Embrace because I had been through something, you know, similar, even though I'm a male, males still go through this. Um, and also just because I have many female friends who also experience that. And so, um, yeah, that's just when I thought, you know, something needs to be done. It wasn't being screened on the coast. None of the major cinemas picked it up. So I thought I need to bring this to the Sunshine Coast. So um, that's just when I decided to throw everything I had into it and, and host a screening. Um, what was your screening like? 
What was the response from the community? Oh my gosh, it was huge. So um, at the cinema complex where I screened, um, initially it started out in like the smaller cinema. It was like 160 people, I think. And then wow. it sold out, got upgraded to um, you know the 250 and then that sold out. And then by the end, I sold out the largest capacity cinema with 315 people. Wow. Uh, and it was just, you know, it kind of blew my mind. The community support behind it was just amazing. It was obviously well needed. You know, it was just that time where, um, you know, it really is a social issue and, you know, people, you know, it's very difficult for people to speak out about these things. Um and so it just provided that forum. People obviously wanted to have that discussion. They just didn't know how to do it. And so, um, you know, it wasn't just the people who turned up. You know, I definitely have to give thanks. I had, um, I think it was 19 local businesses that actually supported the screening and they, they donated, like, um, gift cards or gift vouchers or, like, little hampers, um, you know, as, like, door prizes and giveaways. And... All of those businesses, they all had something to do with self-care, you know, looking after yourself regardless of your body size. Mm -hmm. So there was stuff, you know, to do with yoga. There was, you know, like um, a tea store gave like a, a hamper with teas in it. Um, there was like a surf school. They, they gave some um, surf lessons, just a whole wide range of things, massages, you know, the list, the list goes on. And... And that was amazing just to know that it wasn't just the people who were turning up that, you know, were interested in it, but the actual, you know, local business community supports the message behind the body image movement, you know, that regardless of our body size, we're all worthy of love and belonging, occupying space in this world. And, you know, you can do the things that you love to do regardless of your body size, you know, particularly those self-care things. So, yeah, it was amazing. That's brilliant. But I think I wonder if because over in Australia you had a bit more press going on because over here in the UK we, we haven't had our screenings yet. Mine's Wednesday next week and yeah. I think they all start from Monday and other than mm -hmm. what the ambassadors have been promoting out there, there hasn't yeah. really been much press. So I'm having people say to me, you know, what the hell is this? And I have had some guys say to me, you know, I, I promote, I you know, I... I'm going to buy a ticket, but I can't share it on my Facebook page because my mates are going to laugh at me, you know? So that's another thing I really wanted to ask you because if that's how guys feel, how did yeah. you feel being a guy hosting the screening? And then how did other men respond to you for having done that? Good question. How did I feel as a guy hosting the screening? Nicola, I didn't give a shit. I was in it for the community. <laughs> I was meant to get to rate awareness and just to say to everyone, this is an important issue, male or female. Um, yeah, I just, I guess I've just come to that point where, um, you know, there's, like I said, there's so few male spokespeople, um, you know, and just if someone doesn't speak up, no one will and it will never get addressed. So, you know, I definitely want to recognise there are a few, you know, whether it's uh, Aaron Flores, um, Andrew Whalen, and there's a few others. Scott Griffiths is a researcher in Australia around body image and eating disorders for males, you know, but there, there aren't many other guys. So I just thought, you know, whether I was male or female, it didn't matter. I think just the screening had to take place, Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and again, if there was any kind of discomfort, obviously I just, you know, would have to move through that. But I never questioned as a male, what would this look like for me? Um, you know, it was just supporting the community to, you know, as I said, to open up discussion about it and, and help people. So, um, you know, there were, I think, five males um, at the screening out of the 315, and it's a shame that there weren't many. And I think most, most people say that. Um, but, yeah, th there's certainly, you know, a stigma, you know, around males talking about stuff because I think, you know, it's acknowledged that women talk about it a lot more than males. And, um, you know, even though I'm talking about it, my mates don't, um, you know, they never have. Um, 
So it, it is it is difficult for males. You know, I think it's sad they want to share it on their Facebook page, yeah. you know, yeah. for, for fear of repercussion of, you know, not being a man, whatever that means. I mean, what, having feelings and being vulnerable and authentic and, you know, earning your shit, that, that's not being a man? I mean... Yeah, there's there's kind of something wrong with that picture, isn't there? <laughs> there totally is. <laughs> That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm sure you know. I'm sure that you've seen the other things that I've done since then. You know, with um, you know, doing the poetic words and my recent self-portrait and yeah, uh, yes, all about of that. It's, pardon me. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But just while what? we're still on the movie, I just want to know what because I have actually seen it because I'm I'm fortunate enough I'm going to be interviewing Taryn next week so I was allowed to see it before it comes out in the UK I know I'm I'm really nervous and excited I can't wait to meet her Um, she's so so lovely I had the opportunity um she actually called me a couple of weeks ago on the phone and I was like total starstruck moment right it was (laughs) it's crazy because um as part of um, you know, the BIMGA being an ambassador, I'm actually collaborating with the university that I went to because um, the the public health program leader at the university is an advocate of health at every size as well. And so we've teamed up and we're actually going to be doing a, a community event screening of Embrace on campus. Um, we're going to invite obviously all the university students, but also all of the local senior high school students and their families um so you know whilst i had you know 300 at the cinemas i'm kind of hoping this will be more like you know a thousand it's going to be an open air screening you know bring your picnic rugs come with your family and um yeah kind of and and when she found out she was like i need to call you (laughs) yeah that's brilliant i mean kids need to see this they're, so oh, the well, amount of crap that's on social media that the kids are looking at, they, they really need to see something like Embrace. Yeah, and that's another passion of mine is, you know, the imagery side of things and what yeah. we're seeing. Um, you know, like you said, you know, people in the magazines, they represent 1% to 2% of the population, but it's 0% attainable because it's Photoshopped. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's insane. And I don't know if you've um, heard of... Um, the 67% project by Refinery29. Um, but the Refinery29 is, um, I think, like one of the world's largest digital media companies, like the women's um, stuff. And so they did this project where they basically um, reshot all of the stock images, um, you know, so that it represented, um, oh, you know, yes. normal size people. Yeah, and I say normal I rather that. than plus size or curve, you know, because. Mm-hmm. That, that is normal these yeah. days, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm really passionate about changing what people see because that has a huge impact on, um, you know, on, um, on our attitudes um, towards our own body and towards other people's bodies as well. Definitely. Definitely. And what was the biggest impact that the movie Embrace had on you? Um. On me personally, it was it wasn't directly um, you know I'm going to do this now or yes that you know reinforce that I'm in the right direction. It was actually all of the work that I did with the community. The impact was that I recognised that I love that engaging with the community was really important to me, and that's yeah that's when I applied you know to to be a BIMGA because it's all about community engagement and um, you know supporting others. Um, and you know, I just got so much satisfaction from, from that giving, um, that that's, you know, that's what I took away from it, you know, just to continue doing that because I'm passionate about it and, and just, you know, love, love that it has a positive effect for other people. Change, it changes lives. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you're very passionate about it, but do you feel like because you're passionate, that's helped you to get out your comfort zone and be vulnerable and do the things like you've done? So obviously you you did that um, the poem and I've seen it on YouTube at the um, open mic night. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, totally. Um, you know, I was already um, pushing myself as I was, you know, recovering and you know, letting go of the perfectionism. But 
certainly hosting Embrace and watching it, um, you know, inspired me to do so even more, you know, um, particularly, again, around the male um, body image side of things. And so um, I wrote some uh, poetic words um, about my um, experience, uh, how it was younger, letting go of, you know, the diet fantasy that it didn't give me, you know, what I expected, um, you know, just learning to accept myself and, um, you know, untangling that self-worth from from body image and and how I got to, you know, be an advocate of health at every size and body positivity and, you know, self-hatred does not have to be the way. There is an alternative, you know, self-compassion and looking after ourselves and connection. And, you know, I just, I thought I needed to get this out. And, um, you know, even if it makes a difference to one other male or female, um, you know, then it's worth it. And so, so the best way for me to do it is to challenge myself. Um, I've never thought of myself as a rapper or a beatbox or anything like that, but I just thought I'd love to do this open mic. I think it's a great way to do it. I don't know anyone there. There was one friend who just did the little film um, and, and that was it. And so this, this just, I've, I've recognized in myself when we get vulnerable and we push ourselves and we push ourselves and and particularly when our inner critic fights back at us, I recognize that that is when something is happening. That's when we're challenging ourselves and something amazing is going to come out of it. Yeah. And I'm not saying lean in, you know, the video was amazing, but I'm, I'm saying whether, you know, internally or externally, something amazing will happen, you know, and it's really, um, and, and that's the case, you know, it's, it's great to challenge, um, challenge yourself and put yourself out there and push the boundaries. Um, and I've had just such good reception and it was really well received. Um, and it's, it's nice to know that it's making an impact and raising awareness that, males have body image issues yeah definitely definitely you know you just said there about getting at your comfort zone and that's um when all the things creep up do you find that because you had so many years and you were saying like over 10 years that you were a dieter and you always worried about your body image do you still find now even though you've accepted and you're in a neutral place with your body that um during those times it still creeps up um yeah but it, it does, um, but the difference is that I can now say, okay, it's creeping up. What's actually happening in my world at that very moment? You know, what feelings are actually translating into my body image, you know, into body image stuff? You know, so it might be oh, I'm really anxious about getting up to do this, you know, open mic, uh, you know, and then I translate that to, you know, um, you know, my stomach is sticking out or something. So now I can actually reverse translate, you know, and recognize that and then be able to sit with the discomfort of, okay, I'm anxious. It's all good. You know, I don't need to hit on my body for that. Let's leave that alone and get back to the issue at hand, sit with the discomfort of the anxiety and just do what I've got to do move forward. And, you know, doing that open mic was really important to me. And that's what I thought about. That's what I valued. And yeah, just, move through it so do you feel like having done that and got out your comfort zone it's given you more confidence to continue doing that in other areas of your life yeah yeah and you know that's it's definitely happened over time though it's not it's not um you know just one event and and that's it but yes it it does trickle to other areas um you know of, of your life and and i guess that Again, that's part of owning your whole story, not just one part of the story. Um, and so then, you know, these becoming vulnerable in one area and then it trickling over, it just enriches your whole life rather than just, you know, one aspect of it. And so, um, yeah, it's just so many amazing things are happening right now. You know, fingers in the pie everywhere, but, uh, you know, it's, it's all positive and it's just, um, yeah, it's going to be a really big year. I'm super excited. So let's talk about your nude picture. <laughs> so um, like most of us, when we think of challenges, it's normally like fitness challenges and, and you entered like a, a confidence challenge, wasn't it? Yes. Reclaiming yeah. your nakedness. Yeah. Can you explain to us what that was all about? Yeah, so it was it was like a body confidence challenge that 
um, an online friend. So she's a, she's a blogger. Um, did this body confidence challenge, a 14-day challenge, and one of the days was, um, you know, about nakedness. And, you know, through, um, you know, my own work with, with body image, you know, I've slowly become comfortable with being naked at home. Um, but, you know, certainly not, you know, in public. Um, and so, again, I was just very hesitant about it. You know, when I first saw this challenge day about being naked, it was like, okay, I'm having these feelings, you know, why is that? You know, so um, I actually started to just be really curious about it and, you know, in a non-judgmental way and just lean into, um, you know, okay, what what's happening? And I just thought, okay, to overcome this, I'm actually just going to do it. I'm, I'm going to do this challenge as a way to continue, um, you know, self-exploration around these issues because, you know, body image, um, one does not just become, um, you know, body positive. Um, body image can, um, can flux. It's fluid. Um, you know, we can have good days. We can have bad days. Um, and so, you know, if this was a way for me just to continue to challenge myself and, and work at it, um, I thought only only something good could come out of it, you know, as I've said before. So um, I just, yeah, I just went straight into it, went down into the garage. Um, I'd recently been to Melbourne with my wife. We travelled for a couple of weeks and um, at, the, at the gallery that we went to, there was a, a sculpture of the thinker, Rodin's The Thinker. And um, I've always loved sculpture. I've always been into art and, you know, as a photographer before I was a dietitian and I just, it really resonated with me. Um, it kind of, you know, my body image journey, a lot of thinking, a lot of, you know, deep thoughts, you know, just the sculpture, it just, they connected. And so I thought mm. that's how I'm going to pose nude. And that's what meant something to me. I wasn't just going to take some nude selfie in front of a mirror. That's not what it was about. It was yeah. actually about yeah. that self-exploration, right, meaning behind the actual image. And so, yeah, went down into the garage, took the photo, and that, that, that was kind of, that, that was it. And, you know, when I posted it, it was really important, you know, part of it was, Yes, you know, um, self-exploration for me, but it was also challenging everyone online who saw it. Um, you know, when we look at images, everyone gets something from it, you know, because we all, we all make different meanings from, from image. Um, so, you know, you might have looked at it, you wouldn't have got the same meaning as what I would have. And so that was part of, um, part of what I wanted to do with that image was to challenge everyone who looked at that image you know, what did it mean for them? Did it bring up any actual, you know, man or woman, did it bring up any issues for them? You know, or did they look at the image and was there some kind of weight bias? Or did they look at the image and say, you know, this this is, you know, man up, you know, you don't need to be doing this, you know, like, are they in, in that whole world of masculinity and men don't do that? Or, um, you know, and don't talk about their body in that way, you know, only men who are ripped and posing on Fitness covers should be doing that kind of thing. Um, so it was a way to, you know, challenge, challenge other people as well as myself. So did you find that process quite healing for you? And did you look back at your own picture in, in a different way to how you may have felt about your body when you first did it? Yeah, the, the whole process I found was really um, therapeutic for me. Um you know, because I said, you know, happy to walk around the house, um, but also just the actual process of um, taking a self-portrait um, and being in the moment and, you know, self-aware of body and environment. Um, yeah, it was really good for me. And yet lo looking back at the picture um, and thinking about the process, you know, it's being able to look at the picture, picture in an objective manner. Um, you know, and I guess when we have, you know, if we have a negative body image, the first thing we'll do is just say, you know, I don't like this, I don't like that. But I think 
you know, for me, because I'm, you know, at the point of neutral, I can look at it and, and just say, okay, you know, yep, that's my arm, that's my shoulder, that's my butt, whatever. Um, and, and I think that's, for, for me, that's a good point where I'm at, at at the moment. And, you know, actually being objective about looking at my body rather than hating on it. Um, yeah, this process definitely supported that. I'm not suggesting to everyone to go and take nude photos of themselves and put them online, <laughs> right? Uh, everyone's got to get to that point in their own time if they ever do. Um, but obviously I had a message that I wanted to get out as well. It wasn't just about the process for me. It, it was, you know, it, it was about being a, an activist, you know, body image activist and particularly for men and, and I'm, I'm saying something, I'm getting my point across. So what would you want to say to any men who, who are listening to this now and thinking, you know, maybe they've had an issue with their body or they're currently going through something, but they've never really spoken out or felt that they could speak to anybody? Yeah. Um, although we are a small community, I will say this, that they aren't alone. And I highly, you know, encourage them and welcome them with open arms and invite them to, um, you know, come and talk with us and, and let us know, you know, what, what's going on in their world? Um, you know, what, what's happening that's, you know, led them to, to this point if they're hating on themselves uh, and, and open up discussion. Um, and as I said before, you know, being vulnerable and authentic and telling us your story, uh, you know, whether you share it with a, a male or female, doing those things is not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of strength. You know, challenge that old saying that, you know, being emotional is weak. That is a load of BS. Yeah. <laughs> I can say that in full because we've already sworn, right? It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And then as you mentioned earlier, where sometimes, you know, when we're going through something, it then, you know, pops up as body image when really it's not the body image that is the issue is the something that we're not dealing with so i wonder with, yeah. with men if it pops up even more probably than we realize because a lot of men don't speak to other people and it's the speaking yeah. which can be therapy even if you're just speaking to a friend or just having a rant sometimes that can help you you know get something out rather than yeah. it turning into body image so i wonder if there's a lot more men out there than we realize oh absolutely we, we know there are you know like it's not um, quite equal between men and women, but it's very close. There's a lot of men who have body image issues who just don't say anything about it. And, you know, um, a lot of it is just totally culturally driven that, you know, men need to look this particular way. You know, it's, it's masculinity, it's power. And I was reading an interesting book. It was a couple of months ago. And, you know, one of the theories is that, um, you know, when um, – you know, the rise of uh, fem feminism, and I'm a feminist, my wife loves it, you know, it, but when all of, all of that, that movement started to happen and, you know, obviously equality in the workplace and now you've got women CEOs just as you do men's, male CEOs, you know, males started, um, you know, to feel like they were losing their status and so they needed a way to differentiate themselves from women. And because women in general, um, you know, are not as muscular as men, you know, men turn to the whole muscularity side of things to differentiate themselves. And so that, you know, that's one of the theories behind that whole culture and why men go down that path of, um, you know, driving for muscularity. And um, it can just lead to some pretty serious um, issues as well, you know, because typically with striving for muscularity, it's other behaviors like the you know the seriously restrictive dieting and mm. it just totally interferes with one's life that's interesting because then <laughs> women fought back and women decided to become more manly and strong and lifting weights in the gym mm. yeah yeah it's an interesting uh, culture that we <laughs> live in these days yeah so on that note, you mentioned a book that you had read and a lot of these diet books are, um, you know, for women readers. Are there any specific books that you would like to recommend for men? Yeah, so that actually that book that I read um, is called The Adonis Complex. Um, and that gives a really good history um, of... Um, you know, kind of how, like social change, really, um, but also 
you know, it, it highlights about body dysmorphic disorder and, you know, asks all of the hard questions. You know, there's questions in there that, you know, kind of a bit of a self-assessment if, you know, if you are going through that period in your life where um, it is becoming an issue. Um, there's um, also a book by Andrew Whalen, and granted I haven't read this yet, but it's on the list. It's called Man Up to Eating Disorders. Um, and that's his memoir uh, and a bit of a self-help book as well, which is directed at males. Um, but, you know, the other books like, um, you know, Intuitive Eating or Health at Every Size, they're not gender bias. You know, like I highly encourage any anyone to, to read those books. Um, you know, men will get something out of it um, just, as, just as much as women will. Um, and... Again, another book is also, you know, something that a key piece to, I guess, all of this puzzle um, is self-compassion. And I know that's a bit off topic to being specific males, but I'd highly recommend reading um, a book um, by Kristen Neff on, on self-compassion. She's, she's a self-compassion researcher. And, um, I'm going to you know, add that to my list. <laughs> on my list, yeah. You know, I used to hate on myself so much, you know, I was, I look back now and, you know, sometimes it actually just makes me sad to think about the things I said to myself. And, you know, so in that process of, you know, in, in my change journey, you know, a, a lot of things, um, particularly untangled the self-worth from body image, involved self-compassion. Um, you know, and there's that old adage, you know, talk to yourself as you would, you, as you would a friend, yeah. um, you know, and it just can't say that enough. It's, you know, it sounds cliche or corny, but you know what? We, we have to. It's just a way to look after ourselves. 100%. It's funny, isn't it, that everybody does that. We're so hard on ourselves and yet we're nice to our friends or our children or our partners. We're our own worst enemy sometimes, mm -hmm. yeah. And now, you know, I used to do it so frequently and, and now, and I guess, you know, a lot of it, part of the inner work is, you know, self-awareness and um, as I've said, you know, if, if, if I ever do say something to myself, now I'm very self-aware and can, you know, shut that down very quickly. And again, it's just asking myself what, what's going on in this moment. It's a really good question that anyone can ask themselves. Ask themselves, what's going on in this moment in my life? Um, you know, because often we do translate our feelings to something, whether it's body image or something else, you know, to hate on ourselves. Um, you know, that translation happens. So if you can you know, kind of catch that out, it's just one step to take to, you know, help you be kinder to yourself. And um, I'm really conscious of your time and obviously we started an hour late as it is. <laughs> so I just want to know if there's anything lastly that you wanted to leave us with or if you have any like quotes or sayings or anything. Put you on the spot. Uh, <laughs> put me on the spot. Look, I, I think um, just in general, you know, I want to say that, um, you know, regardless of our body size, you know, we can all move towards living a life of vitality and meaning and of what we value. Um, and I just invite everyone to do that. Um, you know, our story just becomes so much richer, um, you know, when we put ourselves out there. And, you know, I think I, it's in Lean In, you know, the line is, you know, it's, yes, it's difficult to, you know, move into the darkness when we can't see the light. But I tell you what, it, it just makes your life so much better what comes out of it when you get out on the other end. So, yeah, just invite people to, to be curious and, um, yeah, to, to challenge themselves. Brilliant. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed speaking to you, this, well, this morning for you and uh, this night for me. <laughs> Um, no where can we hear more of you? Can you share your website and if you've got any other social media that you don't mind sharing? Yeah, of course. Thank you very much for asking. Um, so I've got a personal website, which is Inner Self Revealed. That's I-N-N-E-R-S-E-L-F-R-E-V-E-A-L-E-D.com.au. 
Um, so there's a few things about me there. And um, I also post on Facebook with the same uh, handle. So facebook.com slash inner self revealed. Um, there's a little YouTube channel, which only has one thing on there at the moment, my um, poetic video, but um, I'm hoping to get more things up um, in the future. And I've also um, recently been hired by um, a dietetic practice specializing in eating disorders, disordered eating, and um, body image concerns. Um, and that's FMB Wellbeing, which stands for Food Mind Body. And the website is www.foodmindbody.com.au. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave Nicola a review on iTunes. You can also check out the show notes and get other free content on her website, foodstillfit.co.uk. If you'd like to contact Nicola, email nicola at foodstillfit.co.uk.